0: and listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources, because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hi, folks. Firstly, and I just can't stop saying this, thank you for continuing to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. And of course, a big welcome to those of you who are new here because someone shared it with you. Take On Board is not just a podcast, it's a thriving, engaged community of people who love talking all things governance. So thanks for listening, and I welcome you to also join us at an event or in the Take On Board Facebook or LinkedIn groups. Now, speaking of events, there's three coming up. In September, the next Take On Board book club discussing Corinne Armour's book, Leaders Who Ask, and then in October... A full day with the fabulous Gillian West, who you heard from last week, and we'll spend the day exploring cultural competency for board directors. Then, in November, our next Take On Board breakfast with Rosalind Noonan, the former New Zealand Human Rights Commissioner, where we'll talk about the sometimes blurry line between governance and management. There's links for all of these events in the show notes, so make sure you book so you can meet others in the Take On Board community there. Last but not least, my shout out of the week goes to Mel Donald, one of the 2022 Take On Board Accelerator Group, who has just been appointed to a new role at the Vocational Education and Training Development Centre. Yay, you, Mel! So pleased for you and uh, so pleased for them as well. They're very lucky to have you in the boardroom. Now, on with the show for this week. This week, we're hearing from Melanie Ho. Honestly, go and check out her website and all the fabulous feminist cartoons that she has there. They're just awesome. And I know you are going to love this discussion with Melanie this week. Now, on with the show. Uh Welcome to the Take On Board podcast. I'd like to start by acknowledging that I am recording on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and future. I also acknowledge and respect the continuation of cultural, spiritual and educational practice of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, and I extend that respect to any First Nations people we might have here with us today. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Melanie Ho about gender equity and the board CEO relationship. First, let me tell you about Melanie. Melanie's first board was as a 27-year-old graduate student in 2006 when she chaired the Board of Directors for the Associated Students at UCLA, a $75 million campus business with 1,300 employees. And I think she's going to tell us a bit more about that at some stage soon. Today, Melanie is the author of Beyond Leaning In, Gender equity and what organisations are up against, a unique award winning business book written as a novel. Beyond Leaning In explores a wide range of professional dynamics in a fictionalised company, including between the CEO Deborah and her board chair George. Melanie is also a leadership consultant and speaker focused on future visioning, leadership development, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Melanie. Oh, Thanks so much for having me today. Oh, I can't wait to hear more about this book. But before we go there uh, and before we talk about Deborah and George, uh, let's dig a little bit deeper about you. Can you tell me a story about young Melanie that tells us a bit about how you got to where you are today? I think one of the key moments for me was when I was age 12
1: And I used to think of this as a turning point, but I've actually now started to think of it as a time when my interests started to collide for the first time in a good way. Mm -hmm. And I, in the seventh grade, I loved art class. I was the set designer for our school play. I loved painting, drawing. During the holiday season, the art club would go paint the windows at the local shopping center with parallels and uh, snow families and things like that. And, and it was a lot of fun. And I just loved art. That was how I spent a lot of my time. And at the time at school, we had the period called elective, where you could choose what you want to do with it. And I had picked art in the seventh grade. And in the eighth grade, I thought I would continue doing art. But my friends were running for student government, and they were running on a ticket together, and they had no one running for secretary. And I said, well, I can't do that because I would then have to give up my art class to be in student government. And Mm -hmm. it was like a conspiracy. My friends told the teacher, the teacher told my parents, and they all felt like I was a little bit shy and that I really need to get out of my shell and do student government. And so I had my friends, my teacher, my parents all convincing me to run for student body Mm -hmm. secretary. And I don't think I would have, if I hadn't had the experience, I ended up being in student government in the eighth grade, the ninth grade, the 10th grade, the 11th grade, throughout college, throughout graduate school. And I never would have really pursued those leadership experiences had my friends didn't push me. And while I thought that I was almost giving up art and years Mm. later, I would think, oh, well, that was the moment where I spent less time with art. Later Mm. on in life, I started to incorporate these interests more. And so my book, Beyond Leaning In, it's a business book, but it's actually written as a novel based on my love of fiction. I actually got a PhD in literature. I draw comics about feminism and diversity, equity, and inclusion in work. And I actually use those comics to lead workshops. And so I used to think of these things as separate. I had to decide, did I love art? Did I love leadership? But it's been fun finding a way to bring them together.
0: Oh, my God, that is so awesome! I was thinking as you were telling the story that it's no surprise that you ended up writing a fictional book about business topics, which is exactly as you've said. You know it's letting your creativity shine in that way. That is fantastic, and I love your comics. are they are we able to see them somewhere? Uh, are they are they online somewhere? Are you able to share because I would love to have a look there as well. They are online.
1: They are on my Instagram and Melanie Ho 13, also on my website. We can put that all in the show notes, www.melanieho.com. Yeah. So I've drawn, I think over 40 comics now about the
0: workplace. And I think they're just a fun way to talk about serious issues Oh, my God, that is fantastic. We will definitely put that in the show notes. And, folks, you might have heard her just casually say, oh, we'll put that in the show notes. That's because Melanie's a podcaster too. She knows how all of this works, um, which is fabulous. Oh, that is great. And as soon as we're done here, I'm going to have a look. I love that creative streak and being able to bring the leadership in as well. And I also loved hearing in there that your friends gave you a little nudge along as well, uh, which is often what we need to join a board basically. So you were first on your school council or student body, whatever it may have been at school. And then I mentioned this in the intro, you were also on the UCLA Student Association. I think you chaired that as well. This is a really fascinating organisation.
1: It is called Associated Students UCLA or or ASUCLA for short. And when I think of student government, I think this is a model of what student leadership can be. It is a 13-member board, eight of whom are students. The chair of the board and the chair of the committees are all students. And they have the power and the authority of a full-fledged corporate board. This is a $75 million business that included the trademarks and licensing, student store, merchandise, bookstores, a dozen or so campus restaurants at UCLA, Mm. which is the the largest of the University of California schools in terms of student body size. So really a huge business, 1300 employees, most of them Mm. students, but a few hundred of those professional staff. And this group of students hire, review, they set the salary for the CEO, they approve the budget, multi million dollar capital expenditures. They work with the management team and set strategy. And so it's really just a phenomenal experience for students who, as they're learning, have this opportunity to contribute back to their school, but really to gain an experience running. There are many colleges and universities that are smaller than the $75 million business. And so it was just, for me, a crash course in leadership, governance, challenge of balancing
0: mission and business. Amazing. And, you know, we just heard earlier that you got a little nudge along from your friends for the school council. How did you end up as chair of what's it called? ASUCLA. Yeah. How did you end up chair there? Was it nudging or did you put your hand up yourself for this one?
1: You know, that also was similarly a friend who said to me, I think you would be great on this. She was actually an outgoing board member.
0: Okay. We often hear that school councils, student associations um, are the precursor, to other boards and it sounds like that is definitely the case here and I as I say I love the creativity streak in there as well. So let's turn there now like our topic for today is about gender equity in the board CEO relationship and as you said just before you explored that through writing a story about Deborah the CEO and George the chair of the board. Give us an introduction to the book and some of the themes that are explored there.
1: Yep. So Beyond Leaning In, Gender Equity and What Organizations Are Up Against. Again, it's a business book. You'll find it in the business, the women's studies or the social sciences section of the bookstore. Mm -hmm. But I felt like it was really important to tell it as a novel. So we visit a fictional company. We go back and forth between the perspective of different characters who work at this fictional company. And they're both men and women, and they're at different levels of the organizational chart. And I hope that that gives a sense of the complexity of the problem. And a lot of that complexity is shown through Deborah, who is one of the main characters and her Mm board chair, George. The book begins with Deborah facing a little bit of a mystery. She is someone who has smashed glass ceilings to get to the top of a tech company as its CEO, also one of its founders. She has been a wonderful mentor to many women across her career. And so she's a little bit puzzled. The book actually starts with her chief product officer, Natalie, giving her notice and mm-hmm. not really explaining why. And Deborah has uh, this, sees this trend that a number of the women at senior positions are quitting at higher rates than men. And they do an engagement survey where at a certain level of leadership, the women are actually also less engaged than the men in the company overall, and as somebody who really believes in gender equity and has worked hard to support women, she's puzzled, but she is starting to get a sense that the rising generation of women leaders, Deborah's a baby boomer, the rising generation of women leaders at her company are largely at the tail end of Generation X or the, the older millennials. And she gets the sense there's something that she's missing and that they are biting their tongues when it comes to it. Mm -hmm. And so the book begins with her feeling this sort of call to action. What's she going to do about this? She puts it on her list of goals for the year. And Mm -hmm. she and her CFO and co-founder, Jack, have a lunch where they discuss these with George, their board chair. This is sort of the, the beginning of how we see their relationship unfold and how George ends up subtly undermining a lot of her efforts unintentionally. And he looks at this list and he says, we've got too much to do. Sales are down right now. You're doing a new systems implementation. There's a lot going on. I don't want the leadership team spending time trying to figure out the gender engagement and retention problem. You're a great CEO as a woman, Deborah. You're doing a good job. We've won a lot of awards. as a great place to work for women. So." You know, let's have a speaker series. And he really begins this <gasps> denial of Deborah and the leadership team at the beginning of the book about the problem. He's sort of happy with PR metrics and, and optics and doesn't really see the urgency mm-hmm. and so pushes her to not spend time there.
0: Interesting. You know, thinking about boards in that way. So I'm I'm putting it back into the advice for boards in a way. Well, A, if you're seeing these metrics, if you're seeing there is higher turnover amongst women, whether it's senior or otherwise, if the engagement is showing up that women are more disengaged, less engaged in the organisation, do something about it. Not just the speaker series and not just the optics. Uh, and particularly, I think what I'm hearing there is if Deborah, if your CEO is raising these as issues, then listen and do something about it yeah absolutely interesting okay and so with with George I was going to say do you think he it's it's like he's a real person in a way and in some ways he is I guess because he's the character and he's probably an amalgam of a whole number of different characters yes he's a, he's a,
1: all the characters in my book are kind of an amalgam of many many stories
0: I've heard from many women <laughs> across lots of different yes. industries so is George, you know, and we've all come across people like George, Is in this instance, is George, is it deliberate or is it naive, I guess? And either way, what's your advice to either the CEOs or the other board members? You know, my punt is there would be other board members who also see the chair of that board who is, like I say, either naively or deliberately downplaying an issue what's your advice to them in influencing that chair, influencing George in uh, having a light shone on these issues in a meaningful way?
1: It's such a hard thing. And I listened to one of your episodes earlier where you talk about how the board chair doesn't often have the accountability that anyone else does. Who actually Mm -hmm. holds the board chair accountable? And part of the problem in the book we see with George, which is something, again, based on many stories I've heard, is that he throws himself into micromanaging a bit, yeah right? he shouldn't be yes. directing Deborah on something at this level. And generally across the book, we see him he's dealing with a lot going on in his personal life where mm-hmm. work, he's retired and working on this board becomes sort of his purpose, his way of dealing with some of the challenges of his retirement and his changing mm-hmm. family situation and a whole lot of things where, I think there's a lot that boards can do in terms of training and onboarding, both for all board members and for leaders to help really define that role. I think that often we think that we're talking about those issues as Mm. boards, but we can't do Mm. it often enough, probably. So I, I think that's part of it. Deborah or someone probably needed to have a hard conversation. The other issue with George is that he is really focused on quick wins. And he's impatient and he doesn't want anything to take too long. So part of why he's resisting Deborah's desire to get into the challenge, well, why are women less engaged is because it's a lot faster to just have a leadership speaking series for the women. And we see that throughout the book where there are other ways that he undermines gender because of speed. So for example, when they need to hire a new chief product officer to replace the woman that's left this is unintentional bias where he and the CFO play squash with a less qualified male Uh than the female candidate. And he ends up the chief product officer. And partly it's a decision where it's just faster for them to put in this guy that they already know so well from playing squash. And so I think that one thing that boards can do and that CEOs and senior management can work with boards on is really ensuring that they are focused on the right metrics There's obviously personal issues with George that probably someone needs to have difficult conversations about. He shouldn't be micromanaging. He is participating in in in-group favoritism and putting in his squash buddy into the role. But there's also a way to look at it and have the conversation where George is optimizing towards what's faster all of the time
0: Mm. instead of what's long-term correct. Yeah, Yeah. that long-term sustainability or that long-term thriving I guess in an organisation is often not just about those quick wins. You you talked there about looking at the right metrics. What would you say boards should be looking at? What are the right metrics for boards to be looking at in in this way?
1: So I think there's overall metrics and then there's probably just the culture of metrics when it comes to -to day-to-day decisions Mm. and the culture of quick wins. In terms of overall metrics, I think that boards... Need to get beyond representation, right? We're used to looking at things like percentage of women or people of color, other underrepresented groups on the board, on the senior leadership team, and then we kind of call it a day. That doesn't take into account that, well, first of all, we have a long way to go on representation, but that yes. representation doesn't necessarily mean equity or inclusion. So if we look across the team and across board members, how is engagement? How is participation? How is attendance at board meetings or for leadership staff how is their engagement what are the promotion rates as we look yes. at different levels across the organization as we look at different types of jobs are women always being funneled into certain positions and men are always being funneled into the positions that more likely lead to the top roles i think that it's so easy just to look at the easy metrics instead of looking mm-hmm. at all of the hard ones and just the combination of them and how they they kind of create a system And then I think there's just sort of the day-to-day, maybe these aren't metrics that are on a dashboard that's looked at on a regular basis, but on how we evaluate decisions. For example, in the case we see in the book, hiring somebody faster might lead to better results for the bottom line sooner. Hiring someone Mm -hmm. slower is actually gonna slow that down. And I think boards are always looking at money faster. Rather than realizing we have a case in the book where that happens and actually it slows down sales later on down the line, right? Because it's not the right person. And so some of it is trying to figure out, okay, um, you know, how are we gauging short and long-term? And then some of it is even day to day, are we putting pressure on leaders to fill positions quickly because we think that that's better when actually the slower and correct hire is going to be better for the numbers down the line.
0: And it's so interesting, isn't it, this balance between short and long-term. I mean, in some ways, I would say it's the board's role to always look longer term. Yes. Even if there is, you know, that's, in some ways, it's management, I would think, that are normally doing the hustle on the short-term stuff and the board's like, okay, let's think of the big picture, the long-term picture, the long-term stewardship of this organisation and what's going to be best there. That's what I would hope boards are doing is really encouraging that long-term thinking.
1: Yeah. And thinking about, Hey, maybe we'll grow 10% this year instead of 15%. And some of that time that we would have spent will be on ensuring that we have our culture in place and that we're Mm -hmm. caring about diversity, equity and inclusion for real, not for optics. And trusting that that will be better for the business in the long-term Or hey, maybe even saying 10% instead of 15% is okay. That's sacrilegious to many.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's, yeah, what's enough really? And what's sustainable as well? Sometimes that really meteoric growth doesn't lead to those sustainable long-term outcomes. Interesting. Okay, so some of the, I think what I'm hearing there, some of the warning signs, I guess, or the red flags for boards to watch out for are things like, higher turnover particularly amongst a particular demographic group in this instance, gender and probably age as well because I think I heard that that Deborah was baby boomer and everybody else was Gen X or maybe even millennials. So keeping an eye out for those turnover rates, keeping an eye out for engagement and then really digging below the surface of what some of those things might mean and thinking about the long-term sustainable solutions for those sorts of things yeah exactly Um, swinging back to this challenge this conundrum of when the chair really wants to you know work on either the short term or has other things or color and movement over here let's do the speaker series whatever it may be You know, Deborah, as the CEO, could have that difficult conversation. But I've got to say, I think that's really difficult for a CEO who reports to the board through the chair to be able to do that. What about for the board itself? I don't know if the other members of the board make an appearance in the book and what they do, or whether you've just got some advice for those other board members. How do they tackle this and ask the right questions and pull the right levers for meaningful change?
1: So they, they don't make another they don't make an appearance in my book, although in my book, George has a very good relationship with the CFO of the company, Jack, mm-hmm. who is Deborah's co-founder, actually. And Jack plays squash with George. And we see some of the dynamics there where for a female CEO her male CFO and her male board chair having a relationship that she doesn't have access to. So I think board members can always be aware of those kinds of dynamics as they think about the board as a whole and management as a whole. And what are some of the things that are occurring outside of the boardroom, right? That play into how the organization is governed and led. I think for boards themselves, ensuring that they have an environment of psychological safety, and this is something that hopefully board chairs really focus on, but that any board member, especially board members with more tenure, can propose as something that the boards really participate in. And there are just so many great psychological safety articles and books and trainings about how to ensure that there is a culture where people feel like Mm -hmm. they can raise ideas and often conflicting ideas without retribution.
0: Yes, it makes such a difference, doesn't it, to feel back and raise these things, even potentially for uh, the CEO of the organisation. You know, we talked before about some of those power dynamics there in a way that she reports to the board that he is the chair. But if there re- really is true psychological safety, then she may well be able to raise some of these issues as well. Although I'm not sure there is real psychological safety if some of these short term kind of window dressing options are being suggested. Oh, it's such a challenge. But I I love in a way that you've presented it as this fictional book and fictional characters that are an amalgam of all sorts of characters that we've all met before. You know, I think about this podcast, sometimes some of the most challenging issues that directors are dealing with that, they might talk to me about offline. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Would you be able to share it? And they're like, no way, I can't share that publicly uh, because it's too big a challenge or even opportunities or there's relationships or whatever it may be. You know, if, if this were, if George and Deborah Uh, were not fictionalised characters and if the other people on the board, if, I don't know, Mary was on the board and witnessing some of this and I was talking to Mary, Mary probably wouldn't talk about this on the podcast because of some of the sensitive relationships. So I love that there is this uh, fictional character that we can bring some of these stories to light with as well in that way. It's a really helpful way as well as, you know, your own incredible creativity in bringing that together as well.
1: My hope is that it depersonalizes it a little bit. And that's also with the comics. I actually have people in my workshops draw themselves. I think that anybody can draw. We don't need to create art. Just you give people a marker or crayon and just even drawing a stick figure. It's a way to depersonalize
0: these complicated issues. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. And there is something about just the tactile, you know, picking up the textures or the pens. There is something about that that... I don't know, it gets the brain working in different ways, I think, as well. So it's a great thing to do. I am definitely looking them up as soon as we've finished this conversation. Um, what's your next book? Have you got that on the horizon?
1: Oh, gosh. I am someone who always is sort of halfway finished with a lot of different things, <laughs> or, or some, some of them are one-eighth, one-eighth to half finished, I guess. I'm working actually on a few screenplays based ah. on some of the concepts in my book and just trying to find creative ways to talk talk about gender and racial equity. And then I've been doing a workshop for some organizations that I'm contemplating how to turn it into a book. And it's about this idea of, again, how do you you depersonalize some of the challenges around change management and difficult issues at work? And so it's about all of the characters that we all have inside our heads that respond to change. I'm actually thinking about drawing comics to really bring these characters to life, but that we all have inside ourselves, a analyzer who is nitpicking and looking for systems, processes, policies, incentives, why something is not gonna work. And the analyzer can really subvert change, but actually also has important information Mm -hmm. for us to, Mm
0: -hmm. They
1: they know where the landmines are gonna be. And we all have within us a self protector who is worried about where we're vulnerable. And that could be losing our job, but it also could be just losing our status or being embarrassed. And we all have within us a guardian who is really focused on the past. And even for a positive change, is worried about what's going to be lost. And yeah. we all have within us a compass that actually is focused on true north and the positive parts of change. And so I've been working with some leadership teams on just for any big change, recognizing that we've, got, we've all got these characters inside our head. Even if we all lean one way versus another, everyone has all four of them. And so how do we kind of befriend them and make the most of them?
0: You know, again, I'm thinking about the boardroom. How do you have all of those characters in the boardroom as well? Because they are all incredibly valuable. Bringing together those different perspectives, that's exactly what a strong board should be doing is bringing together those different perspectives and different views and different, you know, lenses through which things are seen. And
1: having everyone realize the one that's dominant for them, I worked a lot in higher education and with many university boards, and there's a lot of board members who within them, that guardian I talked about, that's preserving the past, and they want their university to be the same university it was when they went to college there. And so they're kind of anchoring on their 20-year-old self. Yes. And the universities got to change in all kinds of ways, expand in different Mm -hmm. ways, serve new audiences. And I've watched a lot of them really have a hard time grappling with that because they can look at all the market data in the world. You can give them packs and packs of information, and (sighs) yet they kind of keep anchoring on their 20 year old self.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yes. We've all seen that, I think, in the boardroom as well. Oh, Melanie, I love this idea of using fictional, consolidated characters to explore gender equity and to explore some of these challenges. Um, What are some of the key things you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today?
1: So first, the fact that representation is only one part of the diversity, Mm -hmm. equity and inclusion challenge, that having numbers, we definitely want to get there, but that it's not enough. Second, I'm often asked what the number one takeaway is from my book, and it's interesting because readers always tell me what their takeaways are, and they're very diverse, and sometimes not things I realize would be a top takeaway, but the one thing I really hope everyone takes away and that we've talked about a lot throughout this episode is the problem with overfocusing on the short term. I think of it as organizational impatience and quick wins and that we live in this culture that is all about speed and getting through everything on our checklist as fast as possible. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's often what gets in the way of gender equity and diversity equity and inclusion more broadly. Mm -hmm. And I think because that we discussed earlier, the goal of the board, the purpose of the board is largely to preserve that long-term. That Mm -hmm. this is an area where boards can really give permission to leadership to think and talk more and and work on metrics that are balancing that short and that long term. And then third, just the use of fiction and arts to help depersonalize these really difficult discussions is something that I'm personally passionate (laughs) about and encourage others to look at as well. I think there's a lot of robust literature out there on just different ways that organizations can use fiction and art to think in new ways. There are boards, for example, that use science fiction and comic book Mm -hmm. artists. That's something I've done with some groups that I just love doing. And I think that, especially now when we're all feeling a lot of fatigue, change fatigue, fatigue with just the general world right now, my hope is that organizations will look for just creative ways to get
0: unstuck. Yeah, fantastic. There is that creativity. Actually, just checking, are you on any boards at the moment? Uh, I'm not at the moment. My little prompt I'm always prompting good women to get on the boardroom. I think some of this, you know, we're thinking about the different personas in the boardroom and that creative thinking is so important. Anyway, I'll just leave that as a prompt for you to think about. (laughs) (laughs)
1: the importance of
0: being nudged I think is how we started this conversation right exactly friends Melanie's friends that are listening nudge her back in the boardroom those skills would be amazing um so is there a resource uh I'm guessing it might be a book is there a resource you would like to suggest for the take on board community
1: so you can check out my book, Beyond Leaning In, Gender Equity and What Organizations Are Up Against. I actually just updated the cover with a, a shiny little metal graphic for the Axiom Awards, uh, the 2022 Awards for the World's Best Business Book. So I was really excited to be able to put that on the cover. And then while I was at it, I actually added some of my comics into the appendix of the book. Fantastic! Oh, So we'll, we'll put that on the show notes great so we'll
0: put a link to the book
1: yeah yep Yep. and to my comics which you can find again on instagram or actually all the social media instagram twitter facebook linkedin i think just based on algorithms it's easier to see them on linkedin or my website and we'll have the contact information for me as well i respond to every message i get i just love meeting new people so feel free to reach out
0: Fantastic. And we'll also put the link, we were talking just before we hit record about your podcast, which is also about the book. Uh, and people reflecting on it. So we'll pop a link to that in the show notes as well um, if people want to listen to some of the, uh, the concepts there as well. Oh, Melanie, thank you. Such an interesting conversation and such a creative way of looking at some of the challenges that we experience in the boardroom and some of the things that we should consider in the boardroom. So thank you so much for joining us here on the Take On Board podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So that's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. Thank you so much for being here and being part of the Take On Board community. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So I invite you to join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, an active group that helps, supports and cheers squads each other. Just search Take On Board in Facebook to find us. I'd really love it if you could also do some of the other podcast things. Share with someone you know who might get some value from our discussions. Subscribe if you haven't already. And, well, I also really love it when people rate and review. Thanks again for being part of the Take On Board community. Now go and put these tips, tricks and advice into action so you can be your best in the boardroom.